Amen. You may be seated. Once upon a time, four men were on a flight together. Now, each of these men all worked in the same industry, which was the development, manufacturing, and sales of parachutes. In fact, these men were together because they were heading to a national convention on parachutes. So they, along with um, the newest company's flagship model parachute, they were going to display this new model at the convention. Now, the first of the four men was an older man, and he was the leading expert in all things parachutes. He could tell you the history of the development, how they had been used over the decades, the theories behind behind how they worked. Any nuance regarding parachutes, this man had the answers. The second man was slightly younger than the first. He was a craftsman who had come from a long line of parachute makers. In fact, he was the fifth generation parachute maker. When it came to parachutes, he knew how to make every element. There's nothing this craftsman could not do. The third man was newer to the field. He was brought on to the company as a dreamer. He was constantly thinking of new ways to keep people from falling to their death out of planes. He wanted to think outside of the box. He didn't want to use the old methods. He was going to talk about new ways to do these things. He wanted to push the envelope. The fourth man wasn't actually really a man. He was more a boy. He was just an intern. And he was good at getting coffee. Now, for a while, the flight went really well. The three men discussed all the nuances of parachutry, but then tragedy struck. They weren't expecting it, but they hit turbulence, and the force of the turbulence actually ripped open the side door and sucked all four men out into the air. And they fell. Now, thankfully, if you remember, what were they going to do? They were going to display the newest, the model, the tried-and-true parachute of their company. So each of them, thankfully, had a parachute with them. Quickly, the intern, though he was the youngest, pulled the cord of his parachute and deployed the parachute and slowed his descent. Seeing that the three older men were doing nothing but flailing their arms, the young intern screamed, Pull the cord! But they didn't. The scholar was just in a state of panic, and all he could do was recite facts and nuances and trivia about parachutes and just was flailing and didn't pull the cord. The craftsman looked at the parachute and said, I didn't make this parachute. I didn't do this myself. I can't, I can't, I don't know if I can trust it. He too did not pull the cord. The dreamer scoffed at such antiquated methods of salvation. Who would use that? I'm not going to trust in that. There's new and better ways to save yourself. And likewise, he did not pull. The intern watched as the three men plummeted 
with undeployed parachutes on their backs and was the sole survivor. So far in our series, we've been looking at what is the gospel. And we've looked at the first three parts of the gospel. We began by looking at God. We saw that the gospel is centered around God. He is the creator. Everything belongs to him. He is holy. He is completely separated from sin. Next, we looked at man, that the gospel reveals man's fallenness and need of a savior. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. But in that moment of tension, in the moment where there seems that there's nothing that can happen, God shows his deliverance. Over the last week, we've looked at God's deliverance found in Jesus. We saw that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus was our sacrificial substitute. And as we celebrate today, Jesus is risen. He is alive. Today we come to the final part of the gospel, our response. Our big idea this morning is that the gospel is only effective for those who have repented and placed their faith in Christ alone. The gospel is only effective for those who have repented and placed their faith in Christ alone alone. See, this last piece of the gospel is different from the first three pieces. The first three parts of the gospel are independently and universally true. There is nothing we can do to change the truth of the first three parts of the gospel. Whether someone acknowledges that God exists doesn't diminish his existence. He has always existed. He always will, whether you believe it or not. Whether you acknowledge your fallenness, whether you acknowledge your sin, doesn't change the fact that we are all dead in our sins. Whether we believe that God sent his son, who was fully God, fully man, to live, die, and rise again, does not change that it really happened. Those three things are universally true. It's like the parachute on the people's backs. It didn't matter if they used the parachute or not. The parachute was there. What does change for individuals is our response. The th first three parts, universal true. It's true for everyone. But whether or not it will save you, whether or not it is effective for you, depends on how you respond. Will we pull the cord or will we plummet to our death? So how do we respond to the gospel? This is the climate. This is the end of the gospel. This is how we must choose to respond. How do we respond? Well, thankfully, in Mark 1.15, Jesus tells us the response to the gospel. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
The response of the gospel is two actions that are linked together, like two sides of the same coin. We respond to the gospel with repentance and belief. Or another way of saying that is with faith. The response to the gospel is repentance and faith. We turn away from our sins and idolatry and we turn towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. Two actions linked together. Let's, let's look at these both a little bit more closely. Let's unpack this. To repent has the idea of to turn away from something. The l- word literally means to change your mind. The first thing we must all repent from is our sin. Acts 26 says, This is the Lord's talking to Paul. And the Lord said, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Turn from darkness. Turn from the power of Satan. Sin is what separates us from God. Our condemnation and death has been caused by our sin. Now let me be very clear on something right here. Because there's a false belief here when we talk about this type of repentance. Many people think that this type of repentance means you have to clean yourself up before coming to Christ. That's not the repentance I'm talking about. You can't clean yourself up before Jesus. You can't become good enough for salvation. How many times have we shared the gospel with people encouraging them to respond with repentance and faith. They said, I I will, I just, I'm not worthy yet. I, I don't deserve this yet. Friend, you're never worthy enough. You will never deserve the, the death of Christ. The repentance we're talking about is to say, I'm done with sin. From no, I no longer want to choose a life of sin. I no longer want to live a life that leads away from God. It's not saying I can do this in my own strength, but it's going to God and saying, God, I no longer want to choose a path of rebellion against you. We must repent from our sins, but we must also repent from our idols. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When we looked at the topic of man, one of the things that we talked about was that men, all men, were created worshipers. We are always worshiping something. But because of the fall, we no longer worship God. We worship other things. We seek salvation in other areas. Like the three men who were falling from the, falling from the sky, they were looking for other things to save them. To repent is to turn away from the things that you thought saved you, the things that you thought your value came from, and to look to Jesus. Now those things that we're repenting from, often those are good things. 
They're things that we think will bring us to God. Maybe it's our good works. Maybe it's giving money to the church. Maybe it's charity in other places. Maybe it's being a generous person. Whatever it is that we think, we need to realize that doesn't save us. That's not our God. That's not our Savior. Nothing can save us apart from God. We also need to realize that the salvation that comes from God is exclusive. We can't both turn to God and still pursue a different salvation. To repent from our idols is to say, God, I thought these things could save me. I thought my salvation and security was found in these things, but they aren't. These things are powerless to save me. Salvation is only from the Lord. So how do we respond to the gospel? We repent. That's the first step. We repent from our sins. We repent from our idolatry. We change our mind on those things. But remember, it's two actions. Two actions linked together. What happens when you turn away from something? You turn towards something else. We turn away from sin and idolatry and we turn towards God. The Bible calls that action of turning towards God faith, belief. Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God or being right with God, having the right relationship with God is not found in the law. The law pointed to where that righteousness would be found. It was a reminder of where the righteousness came, but the law itself did not make someone righteous. The law and the prophets bear witness to it, but the righteousness of God has been manifest in Jesus. It's through Jesus that we have the righteousness of God. And it's not limited. It's for everyone who believes. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. Look what he says at the beginning. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. What makes someone righteous isn't their good works. What makes them righteous, what makes us justified is our faith in Jesus A person who seeks to be saved through his own power must turn away from that and turn towards Jesus. We are justified through faith in Christ Jesus. But then he continues and he basically just says the same thing again. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Didn't Paul just say that? Like three times he says the same idea over and over again. Is is there's like dementia going on here? What's going on? Why is Paul saying the same thing over and over? 
because it's a matter of life and death. Paul's not becoming forgetful. It's not a typo. He wants to make sure that we understand it. There is only one way to be saved. Believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified in Christ. There is no other way. All right. Okay, we've, we need to repent. We need to have faith. Faith is necessary. Well, lots of people have faith. Oh, you know, my neighbors have faith. My coworkers, all of them talk about faith, you know. So I guess, you know, as long as we have faith, then, then it's good, right? No, this, this faith is specific. It's ne- it matters what our faith is in, what our faith believes. Notice that in each of the passage that, passages that we've looked at, there is always an object of our faith. There's always an object in our belief. Several weeks ago, or probably months ago, we talked about the whole Disney faith. Believe in belief. That you, you will have everything you need if you just believe. That's not the belief that the gospel is talking about. It's a belief in Christ. We believe in Jesus. We believe the gospel. We believe in the God of the Bible who is the creator, who is holy. We believe what the Bible says about man, that we are fallen and need a savior. We believe that Jesus lived, died, and was risen and is risen. But there's one final thing we must do. See, see, it's not enough just to think that those things are true. Many people can just say, oh, no, I, I think that, that, the God, that God and the Bible, those are historically accurate. I think that those things really happened. I think Jesus was who he said he was. But, but that's not all of it. All of the people falling from the plane believed in parachutes. They believed that parachutes existed. They believed that they had been made. They believed all of those things. But what didn't they do? They didn't trust the parachute to save their life. The difference between just believing that Christ is real, that these things are true, and placing your faith into Christ is the difference between saying, I am only relying on you for my salvation. It's the difference between pulling the cord or just wearing the parachute. Our faith is placed into Jesus. It's saying, God, there is nothing else that can save me. All other things lead me away from you. All other things lead to my condemnation. All other things lead me to hell except for you. I will trust in nothing else for my my salvation that is not you. Salvation comes only from the Lord. I place my faith in you to save me from my sins and nothing else. The trend now is to have all of these uh, media platforms that have plus on the the, the end of it. Disney Plus. I think Paramount Plus. Uh, Apple TV Plus. Problem is, that's kind of also come into the church that we look at Jesus Plus. I'm saved because of Jesus and my good works. I'm saved because of Jesus and because I go to church every, every week. 
I'm saved because of Jesus. And fill in the blank. It's through Christ alone that we are saved. You can't trust in the parachute and also not in the parachute at the same time. There is only one salvation. But how beautiful that God hears our cry for salvation and delivers us. How wonderful to know that the truth, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, as much as there is a human element in our response, that we repent and place our faith in Christ, make no mistake, this work is done by God alone. There is no room for boasting. Ephesians 2, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All of this, all of the gospel, God did it. When we started the series, we said that the gospel is centered around God. Every element of the gospel, each new part, is because God was acting. Even our response is a response to the God who calls us. We deserve none of this. The gospel is a gift of grace. We accomplished none of it. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. The gospel is beautiful. The gospel is true. The gospel is the way in which we can be redeemed. But the gospel is only effective for those who have repented and placed their faith in Christ alone. Don't wait. Don't think that you need to clean yourself up first. Let me repent by, by fixing all of these problems first. Then God can save me. Don't think that it's just a matter, well, I just need to believe that some of this stuff is true and that's enough. No, you need to see Christ as your only salvation and trust that he alone is saving you and saying, God, there is nowhere else that I am placing my faith. But if you remember, the word gospel means good news. Now, what we've seen is already good news. But there is even better news for us because of the result of the gospel. When we respond to the gospel, when we place our faith in Christ, when we repent from our sins and idolatry, the Bible tells us that there's a result, there's a transformation, there's a, a change. We can divide those differences in both what is taken away from us and what is given to us. Now, we cannot go through all of the things that the Bible lists that happens at that moment of salvation. That would take us far too long to do today. But I just want to look at a few of those things. What does the Bible say? The result of placing our faith in the gospel. What happens? What is the result of that action? Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. According to this passage, the first thing we receive is justification. God looks at us and he says, you're no longer guilty. You are now declared righteous. We have been justified by his blood. We are declared righteous because Christ took our place. Because he took our place, we do not receive wrath. Both the wrath has been taken away and justice has been supplied. Jesus absorbed the wrath on the cross. He continues, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son... Look at the reconciliation that we have and look at the cost of it. The way that we are reconciled with God is because Jesus died. It's because of his blood. If God was willing to do that, much more, now that we are reconciled, now that we are no longer enemies, shall we be saved by his life. Paul is making an argument from lesser to greater. Or from greater to lesser. If God was willing to do the hard thing, if God was willing to do the heavy thing of sending his son to die when we were his enemies, will he now give up on the process of saving us now that we have been reconciled, now that Christ is alive? Why would he start the process, do the hardest thing, and not Finish the process now that Christ is alive and we have been reconciled. No longer will we spend eternity apart from him. We have been reconciled. We have been saved. This is the good news of the gospel. This is God's great story of redemption. The curse of sin has been removed from death to eternal life. From deserving wrath to recipients of grace. From enemies to children. From condemnation to justification. The gospel is good news. Look, look at just, I'm just going to read some of these verses. Because I don't want it just to come from me. See what the Bible says. And this is not an exhaustive list. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The gospel is good news. Look at the result of the gospel, but... The gospel is only effective for those who have repented and placed their faith in Christ alone. If you have not repented, if you have not placed your faith in Christ alone, these results are not yours. 
Remember, the first three parts of the gospel are always true. They're universally true. But whether or not they will save you is whether or not you respond. Whether or not the results of the gospel are passed on to you depends on whether you pull that cord or not. So what now? What do we do with this good news? What responsibility do we have for those of us who have responded and to the gospel and placed our faith in the gospel? What is our responsibility? The first is that we must imitate Christ. We must reflect his image. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us at a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When we talked about the topic of man, one of the things that we looked at was that we were made to reflect God's image. We were made in the image of God. But that reflection was broken. It was distorted through the fall. But through Jesus, through the gospel, the mirror is being mended. Our responsibility in the gospel is to reflect Christ each day more and more. To look more and more like Jesus. To let Christ mend the mirror. We've been transformed, so we must live transformed. A huge portion of the rest of the New Testament tells us how to do that. It says, now that you have received Christ, this is how you need to live. This is how you need to demonstrate that you are a new creation. Our gospel responsibility is to imitate Christ, to reflect his image. But we must also preach Christ. We must represent his image. Both of these responsibilities go hand in hand. As we, when we were looking in Titus, as we were going through that series, we saw that truth learned generates transformed lives which are a testimony to the lost. The truth has been learned. We have received the gospel. That needs to lead to transformation as we imitate Christ. But that allows us to be a testimony of what Christ has done. It allows us to preach Christ. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. Therefore, we've seen this part, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The mirror is being mended. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's the power of the gospel. But look at this next part. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's giving us the responsibility to represent Christ, to preach Christ, to preach the gospel. 
But it continues, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's given us the message. He's asked us to be his ambassadors. There are thousands, millions who are plummeting to their death, not knowing that salvation is there. The truth of the gospel is there for them. But for them to be reconciled, they need to know how to respond. They need to know the content of the gospel. That's our job, to imitate Christ, to reflect Christ, so that we can preach Christ, so we can represent Christ. Now, I know that this can be intimidating. I know that this can be difficult. This is why we've set this challenge for our church this year, that each of our members would share the gospel one time with someone this year. Now, that's not something that we just think it's a good idea and, and we want to have a bigger church, so I think the best way to do that is to, you know, let's, let's go out and evangelize. It, it's a good idea. No, it's a command. It's the mission that we've been given. We are his ambassadors. We have been, been given the message of reconciliation. People need to be warned. They need to know that they are plummeting to their death. Pull the cord. Our gospel responsibility is that we imitate Christ, that we reflect his image. We then for have the gospel responsibility to preach Christ, to represent his image, to be his ambassadors. We've looked at the response of the gospel. That the gospel is only effective for those who repent and place their faith in Christ alone. We've seen the result of the gospel. That the wrongs that the fall and sin have created are made right. We've seen our responsibility in the gospel. That we must imitate Christ. We must preach Christ. As we conclude our series on what is the gospel, let's quickly review the four parts together. Because what I want for all of us in this mission to preach the gospel to others, they need to know what the gospel is. If we are to go out and proclaim Christ, we need to know the message we are proclaiming. We've looked at four parts of this gospel. And I think you guys all know those parts. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to, to supply the word to remind us what each part is. What is the first part of the gospel? God. The gospel is centered around God. He created the universe and everything in it, including man. God is holy and he is just. He is completely set apart from sin and he does not let sin go unpunished. Part number two, man. 
The gospel reveals man's fallenness and need of a savior. Through sin, man rebelled against God. Each of us is guilty because we have sinned against our holy God. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we deserve God's wrath. Three, Jesus. God, being rich in mercy, sent us his son. He gave us deliverance. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he lived the perfect life. He died the sin we deserve to die. And his substitute, his sacrifice was accepted as he rose again and conquered death. He conquered the punishment of sin. Four, response. The gospel is only effective for those who have repented and placed their faith in Christ alone. If we repent from our sins and idolatry and place our faith in Christ alone for our salvation, we will be saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. The gospel changes everything. This is our responsibility to share this with the world. But if you have not placed your faith, don't leave today without doing that. We're going to sing a song now together. We've sung it before uh, during our Christmas Eve programs, but we're going to just reflect on this truth that the gospel changes everything. Let's stand together.